Hey wine friends, it's Wednesday, you know what that means, Viva Por Vino podcast is live. I am so excited that you are back. Um, I was sitting back and just listening to the last episode and I got really excited. I really thought that we covered a lot of cool stuff. I feel like we've laid some pretty good groundwork and I feel like the foundation is there. So I want to invite you today to get into tasting. So um, I invite you to pour a glass with me um, because we're going to talk about every bit of what's in your glass so pick a glass that you like put it in the wine in the glass and let's get started with our wine Wednesday Viva Porvino lesson um we are going to focus on how to taste but to do that, we also have to know the lingo. And we're gonna start with the basics of the five S's because I think that's the best way to start and really kind of get you to break down a deductive tasting, okay? And we're not gonna get into anything crazy in advance, but we're gonna talk about the lingo and get kind of geeky today. And I'm super excited about it. Um, I promised you a story today. You'll get your story in just a few minutes. Um, and I hope that this Wednesday finds you with a little bit of fun, a little bit of wine in your glass, and an idea of what wine can be for your future. So let's talk about the lingo. and kind of get into descriptive words so that when we get into how to describe wine we are saying the right words um, but first we're going to talk about the five S's so five S's are the basics of tasting sight swirl smell sip, and savor. Well, what do you mean by sight? What are we looking at? Well, what we're going to look at, like we talked about in the last episode, is the body, the viscosity, the legs. We're going to look at the color and kind of deduct what that means about the wine and what we might be tasting okay saturation equals flavor so why do we swirl what does swirling do and you know funny people look at you like you're crazy because you're just sitting there like swirling your wine in a glass and Unless they understand 
they don't they don't see what that actually does for the wine and what it's doing is it's providing oxygen it's allowing air to get to the wine which releases releases aromas and releases flavors and brings the wine to its natural state remember it's been cooped up in a bottle for a while you want to get it out of that bottle and taste it but you want to taste it as it's naturally supposed to so give it some air give it some life swirl it around now the smell you want to stick your nose inside of that glass all the way up there not at the bottom you want to put your nose way at the top so your whole nostril is all up in that glass and you do that for a few reasons one 70 something percent of what we taste comes from our sense of smell so what you smell first is what you're going to taste so you can kind of deduct what that wine is going to taste like by the smell now sipping i want to break this one down just a touch bit further because i think there's kind of two components to the sip I'll take a tiny little sip and I'll coat my mouth and this kind of cleanses the palate, prepares the palate, it starts the aeration process for that particular wine inside your mouth. And then I take a nice big swig and when I do that, I take it to the next level, especially on my first taste of a wine, right? Remember, there's it's a one taste but it's like kind of two components. So you take the little bit of a sip, just wash it right down. Don't even taste it, don't even, just let it go. Then you take a big sip, and when you do that, if capable, you wanna kinda inhale a little bit of air. While the wine is still swishing around in your mouth, inhale a touch bit of air, and it kinda sounds funny, it's a little bit of a slurp, but it's so worth it, because what that does is it's naturally giving that wine a little bit of oxidation inside your mouth. And it's giving that air the full aroma and full flavor of that wine inside your mouth. So if you're able to, I would say take that kind of double sip, I guess we can call it, um, and really enhance the way you take that first sip of wine. Now. Also, what you want to do after that is just kind of sit back and savor it because you want to feel the finish. You want to feel how much alcohol is in the back of your throat. You want to feel the finish. Does it leave you really high tannin when you want to, like you want to lick that leather belt? How, how does that feel? You know, what, is, what does it feel like when it's in your mouth and when it finishes in your mouth? So I call them the five S's which most people do and I crack up because I was at a I was doing a wine tasting recently with some friends and my girl um, we'll call her TK and TK knows who she is so um, TK is awesome and she wanted to get to the next wine and she wasn't waiting for anybody else because she's a go on the go kind of girl and I look over and she's putting that wine back all the way up that glass is bottom up and I look over and she's like you know I came up with a sixth S and I said well what's the sixth S and she said well it's slam 
I said, all right, girl, let's slam some wine then. And we all hooted and hollered and cracked up a little bit. And I love it because that night it was everyone for themselves. And we had six wines. We tasted really cool stuff. And we were all over the board. Everyone liked something different. Everyone wanted a second taste of something different. And we learned a little bit about some wine basics. And we were kicking it with the six S's that night. So again, the five basics are sight, swirl, smell, sip, and savor. And we're going to get deeper into that as we move forward um, through our tasting notes today. So um, to be able to talk about the wine as we're tasting it, we have to know the vocabulary, right? And enjoying wines is easy, right? But communicating about wine is kind of its own language. So I really want to get into the lingo and geek out for just a few minutes. So um, wine can taste like a lot of different things and it can smell like even more things. And I'll tell you when I was studying for my psalm, I, uh, <laughs> I was going up and down the grocery store aisle and I would put my nose into the peanuts or the cocoa and the nutmeg and I was smelling all these spices and people would be looking at me like I was crazy and one day I was kind of crazy so I just bought a little bit of every single thing so that I could learn the smells and I'd put them in a cup at home and I'd start to smell them and I'd find wines that had those components so I could learn a little bit more so it's really about building your sense of smell it's about building your sense of taste and what works um, but to talk about wine our day-to-day -day vocabulary just doesn't even do it so we're gonna talk about wine words and we're gonna use our imagination because that's kind of how wine works and remember the story I told you in the last episode about my husband and him calling it dirt right well, the actual word we would use in the wine world is earthy. You know, it is kind of dirty. It's earthy. So that's a word we could use. Some other examples of lingo is flinty, meaty, rustic, chewy, smooth, jammy, grassy, Vegetal, tired, chalky, robust, leathery, minerally, buttery, it could be barnyard, hollow, vanilla, nutmeg, You could get grapefruit, you could get plum, you could get ripe cherries, you could get dried cherries.
there's so many really cool words and the more you experience wine with people the more you're gonna learn these words and we'll try to really get into more descriptors as we go to kind of really advance your vocabulary with wine so um, it's not necessarily always the word it can be kind of a feel I feel like descriptive words for wine come from a feeling more often than not um, because we're using our imagination we're really coming up with what these are as we go every wine is to our own delight and our own imagination so a couple ways to think about description of wine and what words to use is looking at it indirectly and directly okay so indirect and direct so indirect would be really subjective these are emotional terms they're very effective imaginative they invoke your senses okay now direct would be really specific objective logical factual it is this color um educational comparative so when we're talking about wine you could say it's an inky Syrah and it's stewed with boysenberry and hints of pencil lead and forest floor really indirect subjective it's emotional it provides description it's just invokes emotion where you could say it's full-bodied and sweet with strong oak flavors and plenty of balanced acids that's very logical very factual educational that's your more direct way of speaking about wine so now that we have some good lingo and our vocabulary is enhancing uh, let's talk about tasting like a pro and we'll use those five S's so we'll get down to the real nitty-gritty about each one of the five S's but let's talk about how we taste and that's just kind of how we taste all across the board like I said before, the sense of smell is a significant part of how we taste. So we have to think about our environmental influences. What have we smelled in the past? What haven't we? What have we tasted before? How refined is our palate? What did we grow up eating? What spices have been a main part of our influence and maybe our culture and our day-to-day -day lives for our normal culinary world you know we eat different foods every single day but do we what kind of spices are being used and have we been exposed to different flavors and scents and aromas and things so I always go back to a day that I was at a grocery store and I kept wanting to learn a little bit more about smells and I was in the nut aisle and dried fruits and 
I'm sure you can understand. I was, you know, it's where you scoop one out into um, a bag for yourself and that, like the bulk products. So I was kind of like going through and sniffing and I realized that there were so many smells that I hadn't experienced before, which then of course heightened my sense of awareness towards that because you grain it into your memory and then when you smell that again, it brings you back to it. So that's also something we have to think about is because of the environment, most things that we smell and we taste triggers some sort of memory, right? And some sort of story. Well, what wine does is because wine has its own story, typically the winemaker has given the wine a story, right? And we've talked about that in the past. But that's also because it invokes that heartstring and that memory. And when you drink that wine or maybe when you smell that smell again, it invokes that particular story to kind of reinvigorate the mind, right? Now, when we take a sip of wine, your taste buds may not taste what you're smelling. There are so many times I've smelt a wine and it's very effervescent, super floral, and really just kind of, I'd like to use the word kind of spiky because it's a little bit tangy on the nose. And then you taste it and it is this dry, leathery, like earthy, mushroomy delightfulness. And, I, you know, you just sometimes don't get the same things from the nose to the palate. So we also have to learn how to savor these wines and not just going with, you know, that sixth S, that slam, but really understanding what a finish means. How long does that lasting flavor stay on the palate? Is it quick finish and your mouth is watering for another taste? Or is it balanced and finishes really nice where you could take another sip or you could kind of sit on it for a minute? Or is it like some of my favorite old world Italians and it's the longest finish of your life that makes you want to just keep eating and keep drinking and keep enjoying the company that you're with? Either way, the goal is to isolate and amplify your senses. So maybe a pro tip from me to you is get in front of different smells. Get in front of different tastes. Be adventurous with your palate. It's only gonna open you up to more flavors, more culture, more activity in a world that you're in every day. I was watching a TikTok the other day and the guy said, nobody ever told me as an adult that I would spend so much of my time with food, preparing food, shopping for food, eating the food, cleaning up after making the food and eating the food and drinking the drinks and the wines and the beers and the ciders and I really stopped to think for a second while wow, we do spend a significant time 
in our lives focused heavily on food. What I want to do here is open that up to what kind of foods we can eat with what kind of wines we can pair it with. And we'll get there. But of course, to learn these things, we have to expose ourselves to them. So I invite you to be geeky like me. Go to the dollar store, grab every spice you can think of. Every one of them. It's only a couple dollars. Maybe you spend 20 bucks, but you got 20 different spices. You've probably only smelled seven of them in your life. Stop in the bulk section. Grab a couple different types of nuts, a couple different types of dried fruits. Really get familiar with all of these scents and smells because again, you are going to be smelling quite a few things. Sight can get you into a, a good spot. That sense of smell is going to open up your palate to be able to invite more flavors into that sense of taste. And when you get to be able to swirl it and smell it and sip it, and you get all of the aromas and all of the flavors that are, are allotted to you because you have the recognition of those flavors, right? So I invite you to geek out and be like me and go to the grocery store <laughs> and look like a fool. Um, but let's jump into a couple other things. I want you to kind of think about this in the checklist form where we think about your senses. We talk about your sense of sight. We talk about your sense of taste. We talk about your sense of smell. And then we're gonna talk about that sense of feeling. We're not touching anything. This is a feel and a mouth and your mouth feel. Remember, wine invokes emotion. Lots of emotions. Wine can provide you with memories and triggers and so many ways that as you go through your wine journey, you will learn to really appreciate. So let's break down the checklist. And if you got a pen and paper, maybe make a little chart, I guess I would say, and I would have your senses, um, what they're attributed to. So we talked about sweetness, acidity, your tannins and your alcohol. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit further. And we're gonna talk about low, medium, high, because we've also categorized your sweetness, acidity, tannins, and alcohol in that low, medium, high. So let's break this down a little bit further. On your sense of sight, we attribute that to color and color depth. So how does wine look? And we're gonna kind of jump all over the board right now, but let's talk about sight first. So your first S is your sense of sight, color and the color depth. So on the low scale, we're talking about white or very pale. On the medium scale, you look at pink or say moderate in color. On the high side, you're talking red and maybe you're talking dark, dark reds maybe even almost to like a plum purple, right? 
Now you have to think about the color as what type of wine and fun fact, this is my favorite fact. When you squeeze a grape, the juice out of the grape is only one color, the color is clear. It is as white as you can absolutely get. It is a clear, clear color. Now, depending on the types of grapes that you use and depending on the types of skins and how thick the skins are, and on top of that, how long the skins stay on, that is where the color is provided. So skins of the grape, how thick the skins are, how long they are on, the grape as it is fermenting will then invoke the color okay so how is rosé pink most rosés are made from a pinot noir grape or a grenache so if they're made from pinot noir that means the pinot noir skin is left on let's say half the time to make it the pink color that it is it could be anywhere from six months or anywhere to a year depending on the aging every single winemaker is different <clears throat> but know that rosé is pink because of the longevity of the skins on the grape so as we talk about color a little bit further, let's break it down into whites and reds now. Uh, we've kind of covered the rosé piece. So when we're talking about white and we look at the color, we can get kind of a almost clear color on a lot of wines, say like a Pinot Grigio or Riesling. And then you'll start to notice that some are more of like a yellow straw color and then it kind of gets into more of like an amber maybe gold color sometimes toned with a little bit of a brassiness or an orange that is deliberate that is important to know that these skins sometimes are thicker the skins are left on longer um, and sometimes that is made to be that way. Uh, I really think that some wines are made a little bit more pinky than others when it comes to rosés and some skins are left on a little bit longer. But as they start to age, they also start to get a little bit more, I would say, orangey or bra brassy in color. Now, when you go talk about reds, the red is a little bit more in depth. There's so many layers to a red wine between, you know, a really caramely color to a really deep purple, like plum. Um, there's a lot of rosy aspects to them. I just think that there's so many layers and levels, but I also think that the body of the wine plays a huge, huge part in how the color looks. So let's talk about 
as we move forward, more of descriptor words on these colors, okay? Now, we're talking about color depth. We're talking about different types of color. And if we talk about a white, we may say a young white. We may say an oaky white. We may say it's a mature white. Now, the deep color in wines is also, white wines specifically, are also associated with oakier wines, more richer wines, sweeter in flavor. Where the pale shades and like the colorless wines tend to be more of that stainless steel barrels. Um, you'll get some of those yellow tones from that as well. Now, as we talk about those rosés, we could say summery blush. We could say a dry rosé. We could go pale red. Now, browner, rustic, more caramelized coloring tends to be a little bit more advanced in age. So I can remember a time I was serving at a local Italian restaurant around here and very popular and it's a well-known establishment in the area. But long story short, I had a gentleman come in with a 1983 Barolo and a 1992 Barbaresca, I believe it was. And I can remember that the Barolo we had to filter like three times because the cork literally disintegrated. It was the coolest thing, but the crappiest thing all at the same time. But what I noticed that was the color was super caramelized. It was, the wine was almost to a syrupy caramel and very much tasted as such but if you put a Barolo that is a younger age versus this 1990 you know you are going to get a lot more of those bright colors you're going to get the brighter reds and the brighter toned purples and things like that where the longer it's aged it is going to age into that rusty caramelized almost brown tint maybe a little bit of a gold the other thing we also have to think about is the longer the skins are on and the thicker the skins the more the skin is going to show so some small fermented grapes and thick thick skin that color is going to dye that juice pretty rapidly. Now, sometimes the skins supply a little bit of flavor, but not always. And in description of those colors, we could call them oaky aged reds or heavy bold. Now, heavy bold, well, we're talking about body there, aren't we? But wait, we're talking about color. Do you understand 
as we move forward that all these components are part of the body. So again, the sweetness, the tannin, alcohol, the acids, all these characteristics come into the body. So it could be bold in flavor. It could be bold in color. It could be a heavy body. And so could the color. All those different attributes go into the description of that wine. Now, darkened barrel age provides density, provides depth to the color. Like we said, the longer the skins are on, the deeper the color is going to get. And we'll get to light light brown as we start to age. So now that we have a little bit more of an understanding about the site, we're going to kind of move into swirling in the glass to ignite that sense as well. Because what we're going to do when with the wine in our glass tonight is we're going to see that different the color in which kind of changes as the air starts to oxidize into the glass so i want you to do me a favor while we're kind of leaving sight to get into the sniffing part of things in that we get to swirl so i want you to take your glass in front of you and i want you to look at the wine and I want you to tip your glass and look at it against a white piece of paper and I want you to see what colors you see. I want you to inspect the, the rim of that color. Does it go, does it get lighter on the outside of the rim into the inside where it might be a heavier, deeper color? Or is it just a heavy, deep color all the way through? It just depends on what you're drinking, too. Tonight, I have a, a nice Tempranillo in my glass. And not going to lie, I could pour just a little bit more so I can taste properly. So, mine here has a really nice, deep red. But I do have some, you know light discoloration on the outside of my rim. I'm also going to look at the wine as it crawls up my glass. So if you take your glass and kind of tip it to the side, not all the way, don't spill it. Here we go. We're not pouring one out tonight. And then you watch as you put it back in your glass and you watch what we call the legs roll down the side of your glass okay so you're watching those legs and what is legs what, are, what does that mean the legs the faster the legs the higher the alcohol content so when you're watching those legs fall down and that's just the legs of the wine and you can you can totally see them they're they're either like light little bubbles or it looks like they're like legs running down the side of the glass that's going to say to you how much alcohol content is in this. Like I said, the faster those legs move, the higher the alcohol content. So now we got our wine in our glass. We've looked at the color. 
we can see what that color brings if you got a little bit of bubbles that just means it's fresh a little bit of bubble does not hurt anything it's just super fresh and then I want you to do me a favor and I want you to swirl the wine. Now, a couple reasons why we do the swirling of the wine. One, everyone knows and everyone thinks they know that it provides air to the wine. 100% that is correct. But what it's really doing is it's also providing an opportunity for the molecules to explode. So if you take something and you move it really fast, it might it's gonna explode. So you wanna think about wine in, in like a science form as these molecules of flavor and aromas and everything are inside your glass. And I wanna smell every bit of that. And I wanna taste every bit of that. And the only way to do that is to swirl it around a little bit, give it some freshness, give it some air. So what you're also gonna notice is that even if your nose isn't in the glass, you're probably smelling the aroma a lot stronger now than you were prior to spinning it in your glass. And if you're not, then I, 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 you can discredit me, but I'm definitely getting a lot more off the nose as I'm spinning this, not even close to having my nose inside the glass. So. It also increases how the evaporation and the aroma intensity is. So if I give it some more air, those aromas are really gonna pop. So let's do this now because we've looked at it. We know what color it is. We know the legs. We know it's got a good alcohol content. Again, I have a Tempranillo um, in my hand. So um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty deep, purple red I have a little bit of ruby on the outside here I have some nice fresh bubbles um, I'm looking at for myself I'm a I would say a medium to uh, medium to heavy body so I'm gonna take a big big sniff and when I take a big big sniff of wine I don't want my nose to be right where my lips would be I actually want the tip of my nose to be on the opposite side of where my lips would be. So like maybe my upper lip is actually touching the glass where it would have been. Cause what I want to do is I want to take every ounce of every bit of aroma inside that glass and I want to get it up my nose. So take a big, big whiff. And if it's, if you can hear the sniff of the wine, I am enjoying that. So I'm going to take a big, big sniff And I'm just gonna sit on that for just a second. I'm gonna take another big sniff in just a second. Wow, okay, so now what you wanna do is, you wanna think about what aromas you're getting. And again, let's go to the grocery store and remember what spices that we've, we've encountered in our lives. What are you smelling out of that glass? And I know you, you have something different than I do, but I'm getting some really ripe cherries. I'm getting some intense, intense mineralities. A um, little bit of spice going on in my glass. Touch bit of oak, but not too much. Very neutral on my oak here. I really think that this is 
absolutely going to be a fantastic class. So as we talk about the sense of smell, and we're going to talk about that a lot as we continue to move forward. Um, but when we talk about smell, think about each individual odor that you're smelling. And we go back to that story I told you about my husband and when he smelled it, he smelled grapes. Yes, correct. He smelled alcohol. Absolutely correct. He smelled dirt. Yes, it's earthiness. Wonderful. He's drinking a Pinot Noir. Do me a favor, whatever you're drinking, look past those things. Look past the obvious. Really ignite your senses and make every single aroma matter, okay? Now, while you're smelling those, think about what different smells you've smelt in the past, you're smelling now that you're trying to decipher and know that you've smelled at least 10,000 plus different smells in your life. So there is, a, there is a memory there somewhere and really let's try to invoke that memory. Now let's talk about what we're gonna taste on our tongue before we get to the tasting note here. We, we want to talk about how each part of the tongue gets a different part of the flavor. So back to our chart that we started at the beginning, taste is going to be the next sense that we're, we're working on. And we're talking about sweetness to acidity here, sweetness to acidity. On your low scale, it's gonna be dry to low acid. On your medium scale, it's gonna be lightly sweet to tangy. On your high scale, we're gonna be fully sweet to tart. Okay? So think about sweetness to acidity. Think about your taste buds. So let's talk about the tongue for just a second. In the back of your mouth, you taste sweet and sour. That middle part of your tongue, that flat part of your tongue is gonna taste that salty bitterness. So salty and bitter. And that front of your tongue is going to get the, that umami and that fatness. So umami is the the fatness, the flavor, the textures of the creation, whatever that culinary creation is, your wine, your food. So think sweet, sour, salty, bitter, fat and juicy in the front, okay? Now, when you take a sip of wine, only two things at the beginning are very important. And that's sweetness and acidity. So I want you to think about your taste as like sensations, right? There's sensations in your on your tongue and your taste buds, right? Because that is what it is. We're we're providing a sensation to our tongue. And we can break it down into essentially six 
taste sensations. That sweet, sour, bitter and salty, fatty umami. So if we're talking about those, let's let's equate them to something that we have regularly. Sour being lemon, sweet being honey, salty being like a sea salt, bitter could be maybe a coffee or a tea. Fat is like butter and umami is that MSG. Not all of us eat foods with MSG and some of us do and don't know it, but that is what provides that extra boost of that juicy fatty flavor. So when we start to taste, we're gonna start to taste and see what kind of scale we're on when it comes to sweetness to acidity. So we have to think about our sugar, low sugar, medium sugar, high sugar. Your low sugar is definitely gonna be a lot more dry. Your medium sugar is gonna be that lightly sweet to an off dry. So we can definitely equate that to say like a Riesling, how they have that dry, semi-dry, late harvest, semi-sweet. High sugar is gonna be your sweet. It's gonna be your dessert. Sometimes it's gonna be your sherries and your ports and your Madeiras because of the extra fermentation. So if we're talking, let's say white wines, your low sugar might be a Chardonnay or a French Cotteron. Your medium might be, like I said, German Riesling. I would do a German Riesling for sure. Um, and your high, your dessert, desserts, ports, cherries, maybe a Moscato, maybe a Brichetto. So think of like a dry Merlot or a light, sweet Riesling as tea with a sugar think of your sweet port as maybe orange juice because of its acidity right now some tasting facts that we want to talk about when it comes to acidity you have low acidity medium and high When you break down low, you're talking about mildly acid, mild acids, maybe flabby. I don't really like flabby wines. I'd rather have it really nice and finished and round. When you find that typically in a Chardonnay, I think that's probably why I'm not the hugest Chardonnay fan, to be honest with you. You'll also find that in a creamy sherry. Now, acidity in the medium scale would be kind of tangy and crisp. That's your Pinot Grigios. That's your Merlots. On the high scale of acidity, you're looking at really tart, super sharp, kind of pungent and aggressive acids. 
That's like a French Sincere, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, maybe Italian Chianti. Um, sometimes you'll get that from different types of cabs. Now we talked about the pH scale before and we're gonna reference that one more time here because acid plays a huge, huge part in wine. And we have to kind of understand where wine lands on that pH scale. So it's typically between like a three and a four. Remember water is a seven, so that's your, that's your neutral. Coffee sits at about a 5.5, orange juice at about a three and a half, lime juice like a two, vodka's like a six, seven. So vodka's you're closer to water. Where wine has a significantly higher acidic rate, rate. That acid tends to sit at that like three to four range. Now identifying acid and sweetness, we can kind of compare four different wines and I might be able to break that down for you so that when you're looking for something specific, this might help you out. So let's say we have four wines. We're gonna talk about a French Sauvignon Blanc. We're gonna talk about a California Chardonnay. We're gonna talk about a Washington Riesling and we're gonna talk about a French Muscat. So similar to like a, a Moscato, okay? Now, the first one is a Sauvignon Blanc. That's gonna be low sweetness, high acidity. Super ripe fruits. You're gonna get a lot of citrus on the note, on the, on the nose, and it's gonna be super crisp. California Chardonnay is gonna be low sweetness, medium acidity. It's going to have some butteriness to it. It's going to have some depth and some layer and some heavy body to it. Your Riesling is going to have medium sweetness and high acidity. It's going to be a lot sweeter. It's going to have some high fruit notes. It's going to be super tart. You're going to want it with dessert. Or something creamy. And then a fresh... French Muscat, or something like a Moscato in, in Italy, would have high sweetness and low acidity. It's going to be super sweet. It's going to have this almost champagne-style bubbly-ish. It's not going to be bubbly, necessarily, but Moscato is just going to be super sweet and low acid, very drinkable, but like candy. So, let's talk about the next S. And as we break this down, we've gone through sight, we've gone through swirling it, we've gone through sniffing it. Well, it's time to taste this dang glass of wine now, isn't it? So I want you to do me a favor and take a quick sip. Just a quick sip. And I want you to understand what you're tasting. 
Are you tasting the same things that you're smelling? Are you getting the aromas that you thought you were going to get? Now, I didn't want to leave you hanging too far, but we are going to talk a little bit more about some smelling. And the reason why we focus so much on smelling is because, again, a lot of what we're going to taste is going to come from that. So while we get into red wines and we understand that aging process, some is in barrels and an oak and some is not. Some are in vats, some are in uh, stainless. But a lot of the time there's oak influence inside of a wine. So you're gonna smell fruit, yes, of course. They're always gonna be present in wine. But what we also need to break down is how much oak you smell. What kind of oak do you smell? Is it French? Is it American? Is it neutral? Is it, has it been aged? How strong is that oak? How strong are the fruit flavors? What's the main scent that you're getting from the wine? And then remember, all of this is influenced by terroir. So when we talk about scent, we're going to talk about low intensity. We're going to talk about medium intensity and high intensity. Low is going to be mild to southern or subtle. You're going to get those in like the Chablis and the Proseccos. When we talk about your medium intensities, you're going to get moderate flavors. That's Sauvignon Blanc, maybe Grenache. On the high intensity, you're getting bold and concentrated. We're getting intense, powerful flavors. Those are coming from your Napa Valley cabs and your big, bold, juicy reds. Sometimes you're going to get that from dessert wine as well. Now on a power scale, because a lot of people in the United States love the power of Napa Valley Cabernet. We can describe the power scale as starting from the bottom and working our way up to the top. We can go to, from subtle to maybe understated, mild, flavorful, strong, going to get to bold, pungent, and over the top. And I'll tell you this, over the years, I've been a huge, huge cab fan. The bigger, the bolder, the better, honestly, has been my motto for a long time until recently. I really started to refine my palate and really started to understand the subtleties of other types of wine and really realized that there is so much more flavor and pungency and so much more depth when it's a little bit more mild than when it's that over the top flavor. So things to also think about is the oakiness. Is it unoaked? Is it mild oak? Is it oaky and toasty? That's your low, medium, high. So on your low scale on that unoaked, you're talking about Rieslings, maybe a Valpolicella. 
on the medium, which is that mild oak. You're talking about a French Bordeaux, maybe a Oregon Pinot Noir. And on that high, really oaky, toasty notes, you're gonna be in that Chardonnay, the Spanish Rioja that I have in my hand right now. A lot of cabs, a lot of cab franc go to that. So you could have low fruit with low oak. That could be an unoaked Chardonnay. You could do a medium fruit with a medium oak. That would be maybe a barrel fermented Chardonnay. So there's a good comparison there too. On the other side of that, you could have medium fruit and high oak. That could be a Tempranillo, like the one I have right now. Or it could be high fruit and high darkness, and that could be a barrel-aged, maybe Australian Syrah or Cab. Or a lot of people are doing bourbon barrel-aged. So maybe the color would be a lot different that way. The smells would be a lot different that way. I know there's a wine out there, it's called A Thousand Stories. It's a really good cab, but it's aged for, I believe, two years inside of a uh, whiskey barrel or bourbon barrel, excuse me. And that stuff is fantastic. You get those notes from the bourbon that was in that cask before and it's aging through the, that wood for two years. It's really absolutely fantastic. So now that you got that wine inside of your mouth, let's talk about what that sip did for you. So again, when we were talking about it, we wanna swirl that wine, we wanna sniff that wine. When we take that first initial sip, we're just getting our palate wet. We're just getting the palate cleansed, wet, ready to go. So now we're gonna take that sip. I'm gonna chew on it a little. I'm gonna suck some air in. I'm gonna let it float around my mouth. Does it smell like it tastes? What's the texture of that wine? What am I feeling? So some of the physical sensations I want you to think about are carbonation or bubbles. Do you have that in your wine? My wine doesn't. I don't really have any carbonation. I have some bubbles from the freshness, but not bubbles in my mouth. What's the weight or the body? Is it heavy? Is it medium? Where's that land for you? I, I ended up being a little bit lighter body than I expected for the color for mine. Now the tannin and the stringency, do you get that bite in the back of your mouth? Are you, what what's on your tongue? We talked about the sweet and sour in the back bitter and salty in the middle that fat umami in the front what are you getting i get some tartness on mine i have a little bit of saltiness in the back i'm a i'm a medium tannin on my tempranillo here i'm not too crazy some texture notes we could say on the low medium high scale we have low as still or like a standard so sauvignon blanc pinot grigio depending on what you're drinking your medium is going to be spritzy. Like um, maybe we're talking about a Verde. Maybe we're talking about a Prosecco. Um, then your high and your textures are going to be your sparkly bubbly. That's going to be your champagne, your Prosecco. So um, 
You might get a little bit of fizzy bubbly from say a Lambrusco, if you're doing Lambrusco, if you're doing this, a spritzer of any sort, has feet bubbles. Um, and then on the other side of texture, we can talk about the body. So we talked about the carbonation and bubbles. Now we can talk about that body and that weight. So on the low, medium, high scale, we're on that low, which is light bodied. Medium is medium weight, medium bodied, heavy, high, I'm sorry, high on the texture scale is heavy or full bodied. So mine is, the one I have right now is definitely a medium weight and it's a medium body here. So think low, light bodied being German Rieslings, Moscatos, uh, typically your whites, your sparklings, your rosés. Um, your medium bodies are those French Bordeaux, um, maybe a Merlot. Your Pinot Noirs tend to be that more of a medium body there, my Tempranillo here. And then that high body you're talking about, you know, a Zinfandel, a Syrah, a Cab, maybe a blend of some sort also talking about the rare dessert wines some fortified wines things like that you're gonna probably have a lot more texture too and a lot more body too now when we talk about tannin we have to talk about grape skins because tannin comes from the skin and what, what else comes from the skin is the color so you're not gonna get heavy tannin on a lighter wine. The bigger, the bolder, the riper, the richer, the color, the heavier the body, that's when you're gonna get more of the tannin. And the astringency from the tannin. I hope that makes sense. So when we're describing tannin, we're going low tannin, medium tannin, high. Low is no tannin, typically in a rosé or a Beaujolais. Medium is gonna be velvety, soft tannins, your Merlots, your French Bordeaux, and French Burgundies. Your high tannin, they're gonna be leather, they're gonna be really hard tannin, almost like you took a back of a leather belt and licked it. That's gonna be super obvious to the tongue. Italian Barolos, Cabernet Sauvignons, Cabernet Francs. Big, bold, juicy wines tend to do this on that tannin side of things because again, the skins are left on longer. The skins tend to be thicker, um, providing that color as well. So lightweight, no tannin, high carbonation is an Italian Prosecco all day long. Lightweight, no tannin, medium carbonation, might be a Verde. Lightweight, medium tannin, no carbonation, let's say Pinot Noir, maybe again the Tempranillo that's in my glass. Heavyweight, high tannin, no carbonation, there's your Cabernet Sauvignon, your big bold Syrahs, Cab Francs. Now, all of that being said, you want to have the most balanced wine you can. You don't want all of these things to be fighting over each other. 
So there's a craft and an artwork that comes to making sure that there's just enough acidity. There's just enough fruit, just enough tannin. And how much finish is really there? The quality of wine can be measured by the length of time it resonates in the mouth. How long is that finish? Do you need to take a sip? Another sip and another sip, one after another after another? Or can it just sit on your palate and you continue to enjoy it for moments after that sip was taken? I measure the finish by its quality. And how long can you really savor that wine? So that fifth S again is savor. How long is that wine in your glass? on your tongue. We could take this sixth S real quick and cheers to another glass. I hope your sip was just as good as mine was. Hey guys, we've covered a ton today and I'm really digging everything about what we're doing here together and the journey that we're we're really forging for so um i want to give a couple of shout outs before we wrap up today and another hour-long session where we learn a little bit more about wine um i have a ton of knowledge myself but i am referencing a couple of spaces and i'd like to give those places a shout out um wine foley is always an essential when it comes to wine knowledge i have another book in hand that i've been reading that's really been helping me with my basic studies it's called wine a tasting course from grape to glass by marine Marnie, Marnie Old, M-A-R-N-I-E-O-L-D is the author. Um, I got this at a Barnes and Noble's bookstore. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon, but this book has been eye-opening and lifting, and I've pulled a lot of what we talked about today from this book. So that's definitely a reference that I've been using um, to really heighten the way I think about wine. Um, I'm also using the 2018 Introductory to Sommelier Certification from the Court Masters of Sommeliers of America. Um, and I have a partnership with One Hope Wine in Napa Valley. And I have a little bit of instruction and education in one of their pamphlets that has kind of given me a little bit of a starting guideline to really make this very basic and very appealing to the everyday person. So... Um, I just wanted to give those a shout out. Of course, I'm going to shout out Podcastle. This app is absolutely fantastic. I got a new mic. It is from Rode, R-O-D-E. Um, it's little. It's a USB guy. It's really doing some wonders for the way I project and the volume levels that I can use. Um, so that being said, tonight was awesome, guys. It's another fabulous Wine Wednesday. I'm going to say cheers to you. Thank you so much for your time again today. Thank you for being here. 
our next class is going to be a little bit of history and geography. I won't spend a whole hour on it, I promise, but now that we're into the foundation, we know how to taste wine, um, we know the basics, we can follow the five S's. I really think that you just need to know the history. We're gonna talk about geography and agriculture a little bit. Um, we're gonna talk about a world map, so we're gonna definitely put your head space there. Um, and then I think after that, we'll get into shopping for wine because I think the everyday person needs to know what they're getting into, what they want, what they're looking for, and how reading a label can definitely help you with that. So talk about labels and things in the very near future. But again, thank you so much for being here. Give us a like and a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Viva Por Vino. Again, that's at V-I-V-A-P-O-U-R-V-I-N-O at Viva Porvino on Instagram and Facebook. I'm Jen. I'm your owner. I'm your founder. And I'm your sommelier here at Viva Porvino, where we live to elevate your wine knowledge, your culture, and your experience. And around here, we live for wine. Cheers. See you next Wednesday.